0: What you're asking is an event that's going to happen well into the future. And so, you know, we have a lot of people say, hey, what would my yield maintenance penalty be in year five on this loan? And all we can really do is tell you, had we been five years into a loan today with these same terms, here's what it would be.
1: What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. And today, our guest is Scott Williams, from Align Capital. Scott is a commercial real estate lender, and today he's going to teach us some very important details about commercial real estate debt that you might not fully understand, but you really need to understand if you are a commercial real estate investor. Today we're going to talk about yield maintenance and defeasance clauses, what those mean for your loans, how they're calculated, how, what they mean for your lender, why they're so important, bunch of great details in this one. So stay tuned for our interview with Scott Williams from Align Capital. If you are a multifamily investor, you need to know this information. Here we go with Scott Williams from Align Capital. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Yes,
0: absolutely. Thanks for having me. really excited to be on the show and hopefully add some value to uh, all the other great content you put out there from the folks.
1: You know, I'm sure you will. There, We're going to get into some pretty deep details on debt, real estate loans here, good debt on cash flowing real estate, the good kind of debt. Uh, So let's get into some of those details. I mean, we've got a whole list here we're going to go through. Um, We want to get into what we should look at before we look at the interest rate on our debt. So let's get started here. Tell me about that.
0: No, absolutely, and, and um, so as a as a, a guy that usually gets called by clients or prospective clients, and the, the first question they ask uh, is, "Hey, what's what's the interest rate on, on a deal like this?" Um, you know, it's definitely an important question to answer, but we our biggest thing is we try to coach folks through the uh, a handful of things that are more important than the interest rate on the deal. Um, and in terms of in investment real estate, especially when you're taking on uh, investors and limited investors with you, um, and if you're a, a passive investor looking for a deal, um, the number one uh, killer we see to yields and to returns on uh, any deal is uh, prepayment penalties um, and misunderstood or, or ill-timed prepayment penalties. and. Um, the reason for that is in um, both multifamily and commercial lending, a lot of the non-recourse permanent mortgages uh, that we have available out there for, for these asset classes, um, they, they have um, prepayment protections for the lender. And what the lender is really doing there is, you know, a lender is an investor, too. Uh, and and they're trying to quantify their yield on a deal. They're just kind of the backside of the transaction from the investors. Um, and you'll hear me say a lot of times when I coach, when I teach that life is a double-edged sword. And so, you know, if you want maximum leverage or if you want maximum amortization and, and the biggest ticket item, if you want the longest term fixed rate periods possible on deals, a lot of times those are going to come with, um, you know, are um, yield maintenance and defeasance, And they both interact kind of similarly on a deal, but um, these are buzzwords, right? They're not curse words. So if you're a a lead investor on a deal, um, definitely something you want to understand and comprehend. And if you're a passive investor on a deal, definitely something you also want to be wary of uh, because it affects several things about the deal. Um, And one important thing to know about both of these is that neither of them can be waived. Um, and the reason for that is when you have yield maintenance or defeasance on a deal, it typically means because that loan has been sold in the secondary market, either on a one-off basis or in a securitization pool. Um, and so it's not really up to the lender in your otherwise relationship. Hey, man, can you waive it on this one? I'll get you on the next one. And the answer is really no. Um, and so the the technical definition on the two of them are um, yield maintenance is uh, in addition to the principal balance on a loan, yield maintenance is uh, a penalty that involves the present value of all of the future interest payments on a deal and the discount rate, because when we're doing uh, net present value, we have a discount rate that we discount it back to is the nearest term um, treasury rate. So if there's a, we're in a 10 year deal and we're three years in, right so there's seven years left on the loan so that would mean the closest treasury rate to us is the seven-year treasury we have to do the net present value of all the seven years of interest payments with the discount rate at the treasury rate and if you know anything about discount rates the lower the discount rate the uh less effect you get for (laughs) um or, or you get for uh it being the net present value had it been higher um the payment would be lower. But since treasury rates are so low, uh, it can go down. Um, And uh, defeasance is is similar. Um, Defeasance is actually, uh, you have to replace the cash flows that otherwise you would have made with your interest payments. And you replace them by purchasing treasuries, again, the nearest term treasuries. You have to purchase treasuries that will make the same interest payments that you would have otherwise on your loan. And the reason that the defeasance payments get so big is because, you know, call, say just for round numbers, you know, your interest rate on your loan is four and a half percent. Well, you have to make payments based on four and a half percent interest, but you have to use a one and a half percent instrument. So. Thinking of it this way you're trying to fill a four and a half percent bucket with a one and a half scoop it just takes a lot more scoops right to, to put it in context of how to see it and so um those two things and and people misunderstanding those two things and how they interact um can be killers especially if the business plan on a transaction is to return capital early on in the process right so um uh, in in 10-year deals being the most typical, you know, we see 12, we see 15. Heck, there's 30-year fully amortizing uh, loans out there, right? So when you're in the early years of these loans, you can see that based on those definitions, why those prepayment penalties would be so high.
1: I'd like to back up and make sure I'm I'm understanding and, and I'm getting this all right. So yield maintenance being calculated by, or the net, uh, net present value calculation being essentially running a, an, an, interest rate calculation backwards. So saying, if you say, I want to have a hundred thousand dollars 10 years from now, and I assume the interest rate over that period of time is going to be, I don't care, 5%, then I back calculate that. And I know I need to invest whatever amount of money it is today to have a hundred thousand dollars, uh, 10 years down the road or to use your case uh, that you presented seven years down the sure. road. Correct.
0: Correct. Yep. Okay.
1: And you said three years into a loan. So that uh, seems to imply that at the outset, let's say I'm taking a loan, a 10 year, 10 year note right now. And I decide I want to sell in three years, but I don't know. I cannot reliably predict what the, uh, the, the discount rate is going to be three years from now. Right? I don't really know what that number is going to be. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. And, and you hit the nail on the head there. And it's because these items, what you're asking is an event that's going to happen well into the future. And so, you know, we have a lot of people say, hey, what would my yield maintenance penalty be in year five on this level? And all we can really do is tell you had we been five years into a loan today um, with these same terms, here 's what it would be, right because we 're basing it on what the treasury rate's going to be in five years from now. And so we have to to use a historical context and you can use you know long term averages if you want to to try to get a better read, but absolutely it's impossible to predict in the future or well that far into the future. Um, what it will be now? If you're like, "Hey, what's my yield maintenance penalty going to be three months from now?" Yeah, within a margin of error, like we can we can get that. But, but you know, even a year from now, you know, probably not too far off. But um, you know, three years, five years from now, really kind of impossible to quantify at the moment.
1: And we are talking just uh, for folks listening. We're talking uh, the evening of October first, twenty nineteen. Uh, what are just off the top of your head? What are the rates? today to 10-year treasury rate?
0: Yeah, 10-year treasury was a roller coaster day. I think it uh, went uh, 10 dips uh, up and down from the morning. Uh, last I checked it, and I checked it about every 20 minutes in my industry. Um, but uh, we joke. I tell clients, they, <laughs> yes. they say, we, we give rates in 20-minute increments when the Treasury's volatile. But uh, yeah, it was about 164. So it kind of bounced between low 160s and, and 170 today on the 10-year, which is about, to your point, it's really, that's about a hundred basis points below where it was a year ago. So almost a full percentage.
1: That's way down. And, and this is uh, to, to back up to your comment earlier when you first mentioned this is a lower 10 year treasury or a lower treasury rate, depending on whatever your maturity might be actually makes this yield maintenance clause more expensive.
0: Yep. So uh, exactly what you were mentioning earlier the higher the, what we call discount rate, or the higher the interest rate you can assume you would make on your current money, uh, the less money you have to have today to invest to get to where you need to be at the end. So um, when you hear a lot of times people say, hey, if rates go up, you'll make it, it goes down. That is correct. Um, You know, usually not large enough in a short period of time to offset. Uh, any sort of large penalty, but yes, the the larger the treasury rate is, or the higher the treasury rate is, the lower a yield maintenance penalty or defeasance penalty would be.
1: Interesting, that's good to know. Now, could you go back and uh, run over defeasance for us again? Because I, you know, I've been over this many times, you know, in my own investments, but uh, I'm it's still a little bit of a uh, black magic to me. So. Yeah.
0: So uh, hopefully there are no actual defeat specialists out there listening because <laughs> I'm going to get really close. I'm going to get really close for everyone that doesn't know what it is. And for the specialists, they're going to tell you I missed it by a mile. But it's very interesting. So you have to fees. it typically when a loan has been securitized in a mortgage-backed securities trust or pool. So um, a CMBS deal or commercial mortgage-backed securities, um, Freddie Mac also uh, securitizes much like a market CMBS deal does. Um, They actually pull like 100, 200 loans together and they create a trust and the trust then issues bonds and the bonds are uh, backed by the cash flow of all the deals in that portfolio. And the people that buy those cash flows are actually buying bonds. And so when you go to defease a deal you have to replace your collateral. So while you're paying off your loan and your uh, note and mortgage are no longer collateral in the property or no longer collateral of the trust, you actually create the new LLC or your attorneys do for you. You probably don't even know this is what's going on, but your attorneys go out and create a new LLC and you have to go buy. Um, so you know great companies out there that, that uh, specialize in this, um, Defease with these is a great group out of Charlotte just north of me here uh, that does a great job of it and they have great calculators online for both yield maintenance and defeasance. You have to hire special uh special firms to do this for you and they go out and um, the the uh, when you have a defeasance and it's an acquisition uh, and you have someone defeasing you know if you've ever done this, the lender actually has to fund the night before or the day before they have to fund escrow so that the defeasance group knows the deal is really on. Um, because they go out and purchase a tremendous amount of securities. They purchase all of the treasuries for you, and then they assign those treasuries to the new Shell LLC that you purchased. And now the cash flows from the treasuries that you purchased go into your Shell LLC that you are replacing your collateral with. And that Shell LLC takes the payments from those treasuries and then pays them to the trust, which then pay them to the bond buyer.
1: Wow. This is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, as you can see, when you call a layman like me and you're like, Hey, can we just waive this? The answer unfortunately is no. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, let's, how, how big of an impact do yield maintenance and defeasance have um, in, a, in a real sense, like are peop- how much are people really running into these? Are they, are most people kind of running it into, on the, into it on the back end? They're like, oh man, I didn't know about this. It's gonna kill my whole deal and I, I didn't account for it. Or, you know, how is it really hitting people, you know, today from what you see?
0: Yeah, so we see it hitting a lot of folks that bought in like 2014, 2015, um, that maybe took 10 year money uh, and and have four to five years left on it right now and values have done incredibly well even since 2015 I mean we've seen a deal as late as sixteen do really well on it and I'm sure there's others but you know 2014 2015 we've seen in some cases, another 30% and 40%, you know, increase in value since then on some properties and with some true value creation, not all just cap rate compression, but um, it's really some folks that had no, uh, no desire to sell. And it's just, they're getting the property values to a point where they just should not walk away from that sell. And so, um, and we also say always start with a business plan and, you know, of everybody, oh, we're long-term holders. We'll never sell this deal. We want to be long-term holders. We'll take the 10-year money with the hard prepayment penalty. And then they call me 18 months down the road, man, I just got this smoking off. I got to get out of this deal. You know, step one, always have a business plan. Step two, have outs in case that business plan changes, right? And so in the vast majority of of the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, uh, and even CMBS, the majority of all loans with these prepayment penalties are assumable. Um, And they're assumable to somebody that might want to to buy the property that that otherwise, um, instead of paying that loan off and having that large prepayment penalty, the buyer can actually come in and step in and take over your loan. Um, So having an assumption clause in your loan is is the number one thing you wanna look out for. Number two, um, the big issue we run into with supplementals is say you had an $8 million mortgage uh, Four years ago, when you bought a property for ten million dollars, and you're selling it for fourteen, well, your property balance is seven and a half million, and you're selling it for fourteen. You know that's six and a half million dollars of equity. That's almost you know that's almost a fifty percent loan. That's a lot of equity that people have to bring. There are some tools to manage this equity gap. CMBS is a little more difficult. Um, if you are looking at a CNBS loan, it will not always be allowed, but you should always ask the question, Hey, can we build a supplemental or a secondary financing provision into this loan to where it will be allowed or a, a mezzanine loan, um, within Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, we have supplemental loans or second mortgages, uh, that, that the loan may qualify to help with that equity gap. So again, this all goes back to, um, Yield maintenance and defeasance are buzzwords, not curse words. I don't want people to just say, no, we can't take those, because there are some tools to manage, but um, you know, they are the number one thing that if you come in and you've got a $10 million loan or you know, you've got an $8 million loan on a $10 million property, you're valued at like $13 or $14 million, and all of a sudden you've got a $3 million prepayment penalty, which is a very realistic scenario, you know, there goes all your return, right? So definitely something you want to wanna be on the lookout for.
1: Okay. Yeah. Another important thing I'd like to to cover with you uh while we've got you is recourse on loans. Now, all of the investing that I do uh is non-recourse financing. That's that's what we've done. But um you know, I'd like to get your take on how, you know, what is the relative advantage and disadvantage of a recourse versus a non-recourse loan? Uh which is one better than the other for, for wealth creation and and preservation. And how does that all work? I mean, non-recourse sounds great. They can't come after me, but maybe recourse is better in some ways. If, you know, if it's a risk adjusted, you know, advantage. Uh, What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah. So like, like with my earlier comment, you know, life is a double-edged sword. And so a non-recourse loan may have some of these prepayment provisions in there. Uh, so that would be, you know, that would be uh, something you would want to look out for. Um, you know, non-recourse loans, um, you know, it used to be said that maybe the interest rate was a little higher than the banks. That's not true right now. You know, we're, do, we're issuing 10-year non-recourse money in, in the high 3% range right now based on treasury rates. Wow. In um, the banks, banks that aren't capital markets driven and are basing off prime, you know, prime just got lowered uh, the other week to five percent. So you've got a base rate that some banks are living off, lending off of at five percent, and I'm in the high threes. That's a huge delta, right? So it's not true to say that recourse is uh, non-recourse is is a higher interest rate. Um, I will say that um, in terms of closing costs, a non-recourse loan traditionally is a lot more expensive than a, a traditional recourse uh, loan from a bank. Now you may be dealing with hard money that's recourse and that's completely not true. But um, the biggest things are, is that anybody that's really growing and massively growing their portfolio will likely need non-recourse at some point. And and here's why, and we actually deal really well with banks that understand that we are friends and and not competition the majority (laughs) of the time. We actually have a lot of banks approach us to help take their clients off of their balance sheet into a non-recourse loan to help that client reset, um, you know, take some chips off the table a little bit. Um, and um, one reason for that is some banks have lending limits with clients and they want them to go to non-recourse as opposed to another bank. But the other reason is um, contingent liabilities and um, what we talk about um, debt coverage, a uh, uh, global debt coverage, right? And so, um, on a recourse loan, traditionally, let's say you and I are partners. Um, let's say you and I are partners on a, on a loan with a with a um, national bank. Let's say it's even one of the big ones, right? It's not even pick on a, a local bank. Let's say we got a great loan, recourse loan for five million bucks and you and I are 50-50 partners. On that recourse loan, you're not on the hook for two and a half million and I'm on the hook for two and a half million. You're on the hook for five million and I'm on the hook for $5 million. The the guarantees are traditionally joint and several, which means we're both on the hook for the full amount until the bank gets paid back. And so what that looks like when you go forward to borrow from another bank is, let's say say you have um, $5 million in the bank, right? So you're doing great. You've got $5 million cash in the bank. You've got really ample liquidity reserves. If you're signed on to $20 million worth of recourse mortgages, even if you're a 5% partner and your actual liability in theory with those partnerships agreements should be much less. If the house of cards all fell at the same time, what you think is ample liquidity reserves is a drop in the bucket to what you're on the hook for. And, and, a lot, and also what these groups are looking for is they're looking at your global debt coverage. Um, that is all of the income you take in, can it service the debt on these recourse mortgages? Because again, you know, it's not, I'm on the hook for part of it and you're on the hook for part of it. They have to look at it as we're both on the hook for the full thing because the bank's not going to stop until they get paid back. And where non-recourse mortgages come in is they are also joint and several. So like, wait, you just told me the big thing was not joint and several, but for one reason or another, you know, the fact that non-recourse mortgages, generally only have bad act carve outs means that we are only contingently liable if we otherwise commit, um, you know, uh, fraud or, you know, do. Some, I, I never want to be too candid with the bad act carve outs because they really need to be read. There's some real things in there, but, um, any, anything that would, you know, you maybe shouldn't do, <laughs> um, and it's called bad act carve out for a reason, you know, um, explicitly going against what is said in the loan agreement or the loan documents. Um, outside of committing any of those things, we're not actually on the hook for anything. Hmm. And so banks are able to look at that and say, okay, you know, Taylor's got 5 million bucks and he's on the hook for $20 million in loans, but those are all non-recourse, you know, unless he were to wind up in jail and trip these non-recourse mortgages anyway, you know, he's not actually on the hook for any of it. And so that's one major component and then also as you're looking to scale and and grow multi generational wealth and grow long um uh you know large portfolios to, to pass down and is as, as a family and provide for for your family it really helps you take risk off the table in the event of another you know global economic crash you know not that we're expecting one you know um ray Gallio, the the um uh, owner, is it Bridgewater, um, that also wrote the book Principles, but has a large, one of the most successful hedge funds in the history of time, yes. um, you know, wrote, uh, he, he has a great uh, YouTube video talking about business cycles, and then the the large uh, drops and in, um, increases in those business cycles. And it says historically, they happen every 80 to 100 years. So I'm hoping 2008 was an 80 or 100 year like flood event, and that you know, hopefully, I'm still alive by the next one. Uh, I, I, you know, I won't be looking great, but uh, I, I probably won't be uh, working in business at that point. So, hopefully, we've dodged uh, dodged the next one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if I'll be I'll still be around. Uh, you know, I, hope so. <laughs> I don't want to go out at the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Another important number that we haven't touched on when it comes to to debt that I think you know, people, especially moving from. More residential investing to to commercial investing is the idea of balloon and you know balloon payments, balloon periods. Because if you're say taking a loan on a you know single family investment property, you get thirty year you know fully amortizing debt, no problem. Thirty years, I know it's going to be completely paid off as long as you know play my cards right and everything. Whereas with commercial debt, I mean, you might have a balloon payment in five or ten years or, or less, somewhere in there. Tell us about balloons. It's a pretty simple concept, but, you know, do you, uh, also would like to know, do you see people having trouble, you know, with their balloon periods or are people selling fast enough these days? And uh, what are your thoughts about that? Especially as it relates to a recession, potential recession down the road, you know, is that a trouble ahead? Maybe, I don't know.
0: Yeah, sure thing. So, um, and, and this all also goes back to, to prepayment penalty, right? Because, um, You know, the theory that, okay, if I take a longer fixed rate, like if we were to say right now, say, okay, we don't know where we are in the cycle. But 10 years from now, we should not be in another crash. It should happen somewhere in between this second and 10 years from now. So I'm going to take 10 year money and I'll bridge the next downturn. Yep. That is a reasonable train of thought. Um, With that also comes those prepayment implications to where if you did need to get out of that loan earlier, um, you might have some trouble. So um, looking at you know, where we are in the cycle and trying to manage refinance risk in, in a balloon is where the entire loan balance comes due. Um, you know, very I, I would say uh, professional opinion, some of the most efficiently priced money in the market is 10-year money. That's where the capital providers feel comfortable about a risk premium um, over um, the 10-year risk free rate versus five and seven. They're actually a little skittish. We're quoting a lot of seven-year deals right now. Interest rate is higher on the seven-year deal, even though the seven-year treasury is still below the 10. Um, it's because the the lenders are also looking at refinance risks, right? And so if you were to say, okay, well, we might need to get out of this deal in year four, maybe year five. I don't want to take a prepayment penalty um, of a 10-year loan. So I'm gonna take a shorter maturity. I'm gonna take a five-year loan. Well, you do run the risk of you know it is possible that five years from now you know property values may be less than they are or it is possible we may find ourselves in a hard time where it's very difficult to refinance um and and so a way to manage that and one of my favorite products out there uh fannie mae and freddie mac both offer them less uh less available in the condo and then life insurance companies um will offer resets and at the resets while the loan is committed for the whole time at the resets you have an ability to to pay the loan off with a little penalty but uh on the hybrid loans how that works is that you can get a fixed rate for call it five or seven or even ten years but you know five or seven years so that you don't have a large prepayment penalty if you need to get out of the loan but the loan Um, For Freddie Mac is actually written for 20 years for Fannie Mae it's written for 30 years and after that initial fixed rate period it goes to a floating rate and people like "Well, well I don't you know I don't want to go to a floating rate I mean that's how a lot of people on the single family side got got hurt it readjusted to a market rate well the rate may go up and it may be higher. But it's not a gouge you rate or a uh, penalty rate that it goes to. It just goes to the market rate that you would otherwise be able to refinance at the time. It's just on a floating basis. And so those are great ways to manage. A fix to float are great ways to manage like, hey, we're doing a value add. We may need to return capital in year four or five. Or, hey, we think this area might catch like wildfire. We want to be able to get out of it in like year four or five, maybe even as early as three. But man, I don't know where we are in the cycle. I want to manage my refinance risk. I don't want to have this balloon payment. We actually call it a bullet because boom, the loan's dead. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, those are great tools to manage. And then I mentioned life insurance companies. Life insurance companies will do 20, 25, 30 year fully amortizing loans. They can be fixed for the whole period, but a lot of times they'll fix you in five or seven year increments to where you know, you have yield maintenance, but it's only for five years, then you do a rate reset, you've got yield maintenance for five more. Um, so, uh, you know, that's another great option. So uh, several tools to manage and things to look into to, to this whole balancing act, you know, the biggest things to remember are, you know, there's typically no one perfect loan program for you that matches exactly what you need. So it's a balancing act, because life is a double edged sword. And all of these options are double edged sword. And we just want to Um, really make sure we get the right one for the business plan on each deal.
1: Yeah. I like that. I mean, there are a lot of important things in there and, um, you know, hopefully down the road, you know, if it's, if it's 10 years when you go to floating rate or, or, you know, any of the numbers that you said, hopefully you've executed your business plan, you know, a little bit more or significantly more equity in the property than you had when you bought it. And then the other part of that is we think about the adjustable rate mortgages from the last crash. Well, in that regard, people were being sold mortgages at a teaser rate. Exactly. Those rates increased to more market rates and the, the borrowers didn't understand what was gonna happen and the lenders didn't care because they were selling the loans off. <laughs> so we're it's a very different type of scenario. Yeah,
0: I uh I watched uh The Big Short again Love last week. It's an incredible movie. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, it's a great way to understand uh, the finance industry, uh, my world, and also what caused the what caused the global uh, financial crisis of 2007 to
1: 2008. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, great movie. If you haven't seen it, everybody should go out and see it. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. So, Scott, I got three questions to ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Okay, you bet. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made?
0: So uh, this one's tricky uh, or not tricky, um, but kind of unique. I'm a huge real estate guy, uh, but I actually am the owner of Align Capital also. And so I do a tremendous amount of of reinvesting into uh, the company for myself and resources for my folks. And uh, it has uh, been the biggest provider of, you know, lifestyle and, and happiness Uh, Also some uh, unhappy times, but, uh, or uh, stress, but I would say, you know, believing, uh, believing in myself or maybe my wife believing in me enough to allow me to, you know, have the confidence to start the company and um, ultimately been the best investment for me.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Entrepreneurship. Great. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made?
0: Hmm. Uh, anytime I've bet on my Clemson Tigers, uh, it's probably, uh, bit me. Is that too cheesy of a response? Uh, I was going to say, you know, whenever you bet on a team that you're also pulling for, you know, you can lose twice in one day and that hurts. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm not a huge sports guy, but you know, I'm, I'm terrible at picking stocks and I would yeah. be terrible at picking sports teams too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. And my favorite question out of all these three is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing?
0: The most important lesson I've learned in investing. Hmm. And, and maybe I can help, uh, attribute this back to, uh, to business a little bit. Um, uh, one for your passive investors, uh, this is something I live by. We've had some issues with this in, in our firm. Uh, but, uh, just because they're rich doesn't mean they're smart. <laughs> uh, so so don't, don't just follow anybody with money because uh, we've seen plenty of rich people lose it. But uh, um, one piece of advice I'm giving out in, in general um, is that um, in business and in investing, anytime you run into the question of how do I overcome this or how do I do this or how am I going to raise this money, um, replace the word how with the word who and use the power of other people right so not like uh you know how do i get this ppm done for this investment it's who knows about ppms that can get this done for me right how am i going to uh how am i going to go out and knock out uh, all of this physical due diligence and in one day you know it's who can help me go out there and do all of this and so you know, using the power of other people and, and don't get me wrong, every, you know, everything costs money. And so within having the resources to do these things, but uh, it's been enlightening to me um, especially because a lot of folks get self gratification or they pay for themselves and what they're doing when you do this. So anytime you're facing an obstacle in investing or anything you kind uh, face you're facing a question in business, and instead of saying, how do I overcome something or how do I get this done? Replace that with the word who, and then think of who's, expertise is that that they can help with
1: you know i i really like that and that is a i mean it's in the best way possible that is a very business owner mentality and and response and and thought process i i like that a lot
0: yeah no you bet and it, i will not take credit for it. i go to um an entrepreneur coaching organization um and that was one of their teachings it's called strategic coach for you entrepreneurs out there you should definitely look into it so i'll plug them and give them full credit there but uh we call it getting hoot up uh you got to get hooted up when you got
1: problems so get hooted up i like that i like that principle a lot uh, you know you, you'll hear that kind of mentality uh, echoed in a lot of business ownership you know materials things like that is getting people and systems in place to ha- handle tasks and manage things because we all only have 24 hours in the day but when you start adding people on your team you get 48 hours in your day because you're that's your
0: exactly it. Yeah, that
1: is exactly it. You're absolutely right. All right. Well, Scott Williams from Align Capital. Thank you for everything today. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they learn more uh, about you and your business and loan products and stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website, great, great tool. We've uh, put some investment into that to, to really get folks involved with what we're doing and also provide some resources there. That's www.aligncapital.com dot com. And Align is A-L-I-N-E. So AlignCapital.com. My phone number uh, directly if you want to reach me is 864-729-3991.
1: That's great. That's great. You're going to get bombed with calls from the Passive Wealth Strategies listeners, but uh, I'm sure they will all be well worth your time. Thank you once again for everything today, and uh, I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. Thanks, Tove.
1: To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the discussion today. I learned a lot. I hope you did too. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a very big help. And, uh, or I should should be saying Apple Podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts now. It's been Apple Podcasts for months, but whatever, I'll get there. But anyway, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, thank you for listening once again. If you know somebody that would enjoy the show, please share it with them and we'll get their passive wealth streams going. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we will talk to you on the next one. Take care.